0: Well, good morning, church family. We're in the last message in our Jesus, Our Savior series, and I want to talk to you for a few moments today about what is Jesus doing today. We, we know what he did, that he died on the cross, he was resurrected, but in his ascension, there's a new dimension in our understanding of the life of Christ. He has ascended, and he is actively engaged in our lives. Even if we don't. Feel it, or even if we don't sense it or see it, the good news of the gospel is because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, He is actively involved in our lives, even right now. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2, and then I'm going to take a quick uh, view through the book of Hebrews toward the end of the message. But I want to read Hebrews 2 9, where Paul talks about, For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every notice the word every every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father so let's just one week remove from easter let's remind ourselves again that we celebrate easter every sunday so he is, first of all, the resurrected Lord. The resurrection is an undeniable fact. No body has ever been discovered. His enemies could not refute it. It is a resurrection fact, a reality of life, that because he was resurrected, we will one day be resurrected. That tomb was heavily guarded, but on the third day, it was empty. Here's why the resurrection is important. The resurrection proves the deity of Christ, the deity of Christ. In other words, he's not just a religious leader, he's not just a teacher or a prophet. He is God because he is the only quote-unquote religious leader in all of history that has ever been resurrected. It reminds us that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. Romans 4, 25, delivered up because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So he died for our transgressions. He rose victorious over death and hell and the grave. And so that activity of that first Easter Sunday is still bearing fruit today. It is still viable today. He is still the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is in vain, and you are still in your sins. So through his death, Hebrews 2, 14 says, that death might be rendered powerless. Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. In other words, the devil thought he held the keys to death, but Jesus rendered it powerless. And through his Resurrection. We are reconciled. We are redeemed. We are made right with God. We are free from the penalty and the power of sin. He is the resurrected Lord. Everything we've ever feared is conquered because of his resurrection. Secondly, he's the ascended Lord. You remember he stayed on earth for a number of days and over 500 people saw him. But Acts chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us about his ascension. And after he had said these things, which was the great commission for us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. He is ascended. He is exalted. In the note pages on our website, William Hendrickson says, the exaltation is the reversal of humiliation. He who was rejected Has been accepted. So not only did the resurrection prove that the sacrifice of Jesus was accepted by God the Father, his ascension into the presence of God, into the right hand of God, proves that his sacrifice was complete. Never a need again for a sacrifice to be made for sin. It was a complete sacrifice, and his ascension was his. Well done good and faithful servant from his father. Thirdly, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. In the book of Ephesians, we read these verses. Ephesians 1 and verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above, all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things in the church. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, could have been Luke, could possibly been A woman, I believe the Greek would indicate it's not the kind of Greek style that Paul used, but the writer of Hebrews agrees. He says in Hebrews 1.3, When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. Now, we, we talk as Christians about Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and that he is waiting for the Father to tell him to return and come and get his bride. Why is that important? Why is that a big deal? Well, first of all, being at the right hand of the Father was a position of honor, a position of honor. Jesus is honored by his Father for doing what he set out to do and completing the task and the mission of providing a sacrifice for sin. But the right hand is also a position of power, a position of power. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 22 says, Christ is at the right hand of God having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. So it's a position of power. The right hand is the hand of authority. It's the hand of preeminence. It's the hand of power. When Jesus is at the right hand of God, he's in the seat of power. All authority, all power, Jesus said, has been given to me in heaven and earth. In other words, there's no power greater than the power of Jesus. He has all power and all authority. So when we feel powerless and when we feel fearful, he has all power and all authority and he lives within us. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Thirdly, it's a position because of his finished work. Now, I I love this thought because in the tabernacle and in the temple, there were no seats because the activity of providing sacrifices, and burning incense was an ongoing activity. Nobody sat down for a while. When the priests and the Levites, when there was service going on in the tabernacle and later in the temple, there were no seats there. But when Jesus finished his work as the great high priest, he sat down, which meant the work was finished. All that he was sent to do was done. Hebrews says it's a one sacrifice for sins for all time. But here's the one that rings true to us as much as any. It is a position of intercession. A position of intercession. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He who is at the right hand, Romans 8.34 says, of God who also intercedes for us. How can he intercede for us? Because he has a name that is above every name. This is not just some prophet or preacher or teacher or moral leader or religious leader interceding, praying on our behalf. This is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He has the name which is above every name. In fact, in Philippians, that is the name, definite article, not a name, but he has the definite name that is above every name. It is an excellent name. It is an exalted name. It signifies his power. And from his position of power and honor and the finished work and intercession, his name is Lord. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Greek word Lord means one who has a right to rule. And Jesus, because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, has the right and the authority to rule. Now here's where the friction came in the early church, because Caesar insisted that he be called Lord. And a Roman citizen would say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar thought of himself as a god. Caesar is Lord. So when the church began to say Jesus is Lord, they ran counterculture. Because you can't say Caesar is Lord and say Jesus is Lord. Only one of them can be Lord. And so when Jesus is given this name, Lord, this new name, when he's given this name, It is saying that he is Lord over all other rulers, over all other authorities. He's not kind of Lord, he is Lord. And when you see this in the Bible, one of the things you see is it's always Lord Jesus Christ. It's always Lord Jesus. That's the order when you see these three words together in the New Testament. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one of the most familiar verses of Scripture when we talk about people needing to have a relationship with Christ is Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in righteousness salvation. Now, I I remember hearing Vance Havner years ago preach on this passage when I was new in my Christian faith, and he preached on Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, and he said, these verses are valid for every decision in life regarding God. First of all, these verses are valid for salvation, to confess with our mouth, to call on the name of the Lord, and we will be saved. So if you are talking about Romans 10, 9, it's a verse that applies to, I want Jesus to save me. I want him to change my life. Then confess him as Lord. It's also valid for sanctification because he says, resulting in righteousness. So when he is Lord, he's in the process of pruning and sanctifying my life Making me more and more and more like Jesus. Or as Ron Dunn used to say, He's sanctifying you and making you more like Jesus so that when you get to heaven, it's not so much of a shock. So it's salvation. It is sanctification, but it's also for service. Havner said that when you make this confession, what you're saying is yes to God. Now, what's the question? It's a yes to God. Is this full-time Christian service, a call to vocational ministry, a call to serve the Lord in whatever capacity you serve him. It's a surrender to lordship. Lord, I am on this earth to serve you. That's my purpose. That's my goal. And so here's this sovereign Lord, this king of kings who rules and overrules, who has the final word. And so it's important when you Read verses like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You see, whether we are obeying God or whether we are resisting God, he is interceding for us. He is interceding that we would yield our hearts to him, that we would surrender to him, that we would recognize his lordship in our lives. Now, the last point is a little longer, and that is he is actively ministering on my behalf today I've said this in other sermons it it bears repeating I don't understand this I can't comprehend it I can't put it all together I can look out at the stars I can look at the Milky Way and, and it's beyond my ability to explain or understand but I see it and I know it's true here's what I know is true Jesus is making intercession for all of us all the time. He is not saying, now, you're going to have to wait just a minute because I'm not through interceding for Michael here. He is interceding because he's God, he's omnipotent. He's not limited by space or by time. He he is infinite. And so he is interceding for all of us all the time. So what does the book of Hebrews tell us? If you turn to the book of Hebrews, I wanna just give you some some bullet points for you to study and discuss later on what Jesus is doing for us right now. And these are amazing. I mean, these are amazing because it, it, it pulls the curtain back into eternity and shows us what Jesus is doing. You may not know what anybody else is doing, But you can know what Jesus is doing right now. Here's what he's doing. First of all, he's speaking. Chapter 1 and verse 2. Well, he's speaking, but he's also speaking in the Bible. When you open your Bible, God speaks to us. The Spirit shows us truth when you open your Bible. Jesus is speaking to us through his word, he has spoken. He's the living word. He's the written word. He's the word that became flesh to dwell among us. And so when Jesus spoke, he is still speaking. His words have life. They don't have an expiration date. Secondly, he's sustaining, verse 3. He's sustaining. Everything that needs to be sustained, he is sustaining. He is sitting. We talked about that just a moment ago. He has completed his work. He is at the right hand of the Father in the position of authority. The the price of our redemption has been paid. Jesus does not have to come back and die on a cross again. He does not have to save us and we get lost and he saves us again and we get lost and he saves us again. It is a once-for-all salvation because of a once-for-all death for our sins. He is bringing, chapter 2 and verse 10, he's bringing and you're going to have to study this. I'm not going to do all your homework for you. He, he's bringing, he's sympathetic, chapter 4 and verse 16. We have a high priest who is sympathetic with us. He, he's not shrugging his shoulders at what we're going through right now. He's sympathetic. He, he's waiting, chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. He's waiting. He's preparing, chapter 11 and verse 16. He's shaking, chapter 12 verses 25 through 27. He is equipping chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. You see, right now, in this moment, and every moment before this for the last 2,000 years, and every moment throughout time and eternity, these are the things that Jesus is doing. The writer of Hebrews tells us that our Savior is active on our behalf. He's not passive You're not talking to him and he says, please leave a voicemail and I'll get back to you when I can. No, he's answering, he's acting, he's working in our behalf. This is why I love Charles Trumbull's book, Victory in Christ. He says in that book, we never outgrow the moment by moment need for looking to Jesus. When I think he's not working, I just need to look at how he's working. And say, Lord, what I said at the beginning, I may not see it. I may not sense it, I may not feel it, but this is what you're doing right now. And I believe it because your word says so. So if this is what Jesus is doing, what should we be doing? How should we be responding? Let me give you six quick things. First of all, we should worship him. We should worship him. Chapter 1 and verse 6 of Hebrews. Secondly, we should fix our thoughts on Him. Don't don't let your mind wander. This is why memorizing Scripture and reading the Bible is important, because we fix our thoughts on Him. He brings our thoughts back to Him, so they're not scattered. We're not rambling in our mind. It's not like a a pinball machine, but we're focused. We should obey Him, chapter 5 and verse 9. If this is all that Jesus is doing for me, then this is what I need to be doing for Him. I need to be obeying him. I need to consider him, chapter 12 and verse 3. I need to consider him. I I should go to him, chapter 13 and verse 13. And we should please him, chapter 13 and verse 21. My friend Vance Pittman, who pastors in Las Vegas and has preached here at Sherwood on the couple of occasions, said this, the call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. The call on my life is to be with Jesus. So here's what Vance is saying by that statement. The call on my life is not to do something for Jesus. And you're raising your hands and saying, wait a minute, preacher, you just told us these are things we ought to be doing. Yes. But they are things we should be doing because we have been with Jesus. We have spent time with Jesus. And because we are with him, we serve him. Because we have faith in him, we work for him and we serve him. Now, I want to end this with a prayer uh, in this book that somebody recommended to me not, not long ago. I was really unaware of this book, but it sold over a million copies. This was a Scottish preacher who died about 1960. Uh, This book of prayers is a prayer in the morning and it's a prayer in the evening. This is a phenomenal prayer. So this is the day one prayer in this little book, A Diary of Private Prayer by John Bailey, B-A-I-L-L-I-E. And it's called a devotional classic. And if you hear this first prayer, you will know why. Eternal Father of my soul, let my first thought today be of you. Let my first impulse be to worship you. Let my first word be your name. Let my first action be to kneel before you in prayer. For your perfect wisdom and perfect goodness, for the love you have for all people, for the love you have for me, for the great and mysterious opportunity of my life, For your spirit who dwells in my heart, for the seven gifts of your spirit, I praise and worship you, O Lord. Yet when this morning prayer is finished, do not let me think that my worship is ended and spend the rest of the day forgetting you. Rather, from these quiet moments, let light and joy and power pour out and remain with me through every hour of this day. May that light and joy and power keep my thoughts pure. Keep me gentle and truthful in all I say. Keep me faithful and diligent in my work. Keep me humble in my opinion of myself. Keep me honorable and generous in my dealings with others. Keep me loyal to every cherished memory of the past Keep me mindful of my eternal destiny as your child. Oh God, you have been the refuge of your people through many generations. Be my refuge in every moment and every need that I face today. Be my guide through all uncertainty and darkness. Be my guard against all that threatens my spiritual well-being. Be my strength in times of testing Cheer my heart with your peace through Jesus Christ, my Lord. Amen. Now, maybe you're watching today and you can't pray a prayer like that because you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He is Lord. The the passage that we looked at said, one day every knee is going to bow. Some will bow willingly and some will bow grudgingly and resistantly, acknowledging God was right and they were wrong. At the bottom of your screen, there's a way for you to connect with us and take a next step. Maybe you need someone to pray for you. Maybe you have a concern and a burden that you want us to to join hands and hearts with you over that burden. Maybe you're trying to figure out when this is over, what I do about a church. Uh, Maybe you're struggling with, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? If if this virus or something else should take your life, Today or in the next day, would you know him? Would you be with him? And so there's a next step we would love to invite you to take. We've had people that have contacted us and we are reaching out to them. We'd love to do the same thing with you. May you know today that Jesus is actively involved in your life and his first activity is unconditional love loving you enough that he died for you, rose from the grave, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for you to make him Lord. God bless you.